Well, good morning. It's Easter. Isn't that great? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 23, verse 33. We're going to be looking at that portion of Scripture. If you have your phone and you want to go to your Bible app, pull that out. And and, uh, I'm just so glad you're here. And here's our hope. I just want to tell you what I'm thinking right out the gate, right at the beginning, so you know where we're headed. My hope is by the end of this service, you're going to say yes to Jesus. Regardless of where you are, maybe you're far from God, today I'm praying you'll say yes. Maybe you've walked with God, I'm asking today you'll just walk a little bit closer. At the end, I have the last two services, I think I will, at this service I'm going to invite you to the front, those that want to, that just want to make their, just want to make another, see I don't want to, you're not supposed to do that on Easter Sunday, it's Easter man, we've got too many visitors, no, Jesus died too brutally for us to just try to be whatever. here's here's what I want for you more than anything. I believe this with all my heart. I don't just preach it. It's a conviction. Life is better with Jesus. It's just better with Jesus. And I didn't mean it's easier. It's just better. It's just, there's just some, and I want that for you. And I know this for sure. Eternity is better with Jesus. And so today we're not, we're just going to, we're just going to say before we do that and you turn it in your Bible still, I did think it's kind of good to laugh. So even if this isn't funny, laugh anyway, but, but, uh, I, we, this is my 19th Easter at Clover Hill. And over the years, we've talked about maybe, maybe changing the name of the church. And so I asked the guys for some help, and they sent me their top four. And here is the first one, Little Hope Baptist Church. Little Hope is better than no hope. So, so that's an option. Here's another one, Boring United Methodist Church. Sounds fun. We don't want to probably go to that one. Here's First Congregational Meth Church. They, they need to get that sign fixed quick. Trevor said you, everybody leaves that leaves with a high. Here, here's, here's my favorite, though, Flippin' Church of God. Real church in Flippin' Arkansas. How would you like to be the pastor of that church? Hey, I'm staying the pastor of Flippin' Church of God. And, and uh, so after, I think we're just going to keep it Clover Hill. Is that all right? I think that's where we came. So today I want to I want to set you up on the uh, on the where am I going? I want to set you up on the last day, really, of Jesus's life, or the last three days, obviously. But before we go there, I got to set the backstory for you and and just kind of catch you up. And some of you know this, but I want you to relive it like it's your very first time hearing it. And so so here's the deal. Here's the backstory of the story today. God created. That goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis 1-1, God created, made the heavens and the earth, everything in it. Everything was good. On the sixth day, he made man, and it was very good. The reason he created man was to walk with him, to talk with him, to hang out with him, to commune with him. But, but God made man with a free will, and what happened with man was he did rebel. The very thing, the one thing he wasn't supposed to do, he did, and it knocked him off kelter. It got him off whack. It it created a bridge or a gulf between him and God. Sin, sin disconnected the relationship. And, and, and what happened since Adam and Eve is every person that's ever been born has been born with a sin nature. You say, well, I don't believe that. I, okay, just go to the nursery for about 20 minutes and you'll come back screaming. You know, I, I have five kids. Every time, every time I look at one of them when they're little, I thought, man, these guys are angels. After they grew a little bit, 
And I got to, they were angels, all right. They were fallen angels. They, they, they were, I, my five-year-old Micah, I keep him on, home on Fridays. We try to hang out. And, and this Friday we were hanging out. And he goes, this is what he does. Uh, dad, 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 dad. You got a five-year-old. A million times, dad, dad. I finally said, Micah, if you say dead one more time, I'm throwing you out the window. I promise, boy, you're gone. Do not say it. He thought for about 10 seconds, and he went, Pastor Stan, Pastor Stan, Pastor Stan. I thought I was going to kill him because that little fallen angel, man, it's just, it's just sin. And, and when sin, what it does, it destroys relationships and limits potential and undermines destiny and purpose, and it disqualifies us for eternity in the presence of God. See, when man rebelled, it started a dilemma. It resulted in a dilemma. And every one of us since then has been, been born with this sin nature, this propensity to do wrong, this disconnect from God. And so God said, man, that's not what I want for my people. And so I'm going to initiate it. And a good God always initiates. That's why our God sent his son to die, not some God telling us to go die. He, God is a good God. And he wanted his people to know forgiveness and have eternity. And so he sent his son. And so Jesus came. Jesus came to earth. He lived 20, 33 years. See, somebody had to pay for our sin. Somebody had to satisfy the righteousness of God. It couldn't be anybody. It had to be a sinless somebody. And so Jesus came. And that's where we find ourselves today. It's, it's his 33rd year. He's lived perfect. He's performed miracles. He's called believers. He's rallied some people. And now we find him in the garden praying. He's praying such anguish that he sweats great drops of blood. Then he says, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. From that moment on, he, he knew the pain. He knew the suffering. He knew what he was about to endure. But he did it for joy because he knew that one day you'd be able to make a commitment to him. And so he, he said, I'm going to do it. And, and that morning, Judas, one of his inner circle, turned him in. And it started one of the most horrific nights in history the trial begins and with a period of 24 hours there's six interrogations some conducted by the jews and some by the romans in the end a governor that was just really tired and wore out his wife said don't do it but he did it anyway he condemned him and gave him the harshest verdict possible he said you're going to be crucified no single witness rose to his defense no leader had the integrity to speak out against the injustice. No, Jesus didn't even defend himself. The crime, he claimed to be the son of God. He was convicted and condemned. He was taken to the, to a, as a criminal to be scourged and, and brutally beaten. The, the, the Jews said you could only beat somebody 39 lashes. The Romans said, oh, we don't care. Beat them until the beater gets tired. And so they took this whip with bone and glass. Again, relive it for the first time with bone and glass, and they would strip him from his waist up. They would stretch his arms across the back so his flesh was tight, and they would come down as hard as they could on that flesh. Every movement down would rip. Every movement down would rip open, hitting ligaments, tendons, probably the spinal cord. I mean, just the, the pain, the anguish. And, and after the lashes, they, they took him to the palace of the governor where, where they said in Jesus' instance, 600 guards had gathered there to mock him and belittle him and make fun of him and, 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 and antagonize him. And, and, and they, they took a purple robe. Oh, your, your majesty, your royalty will put this on your back. And oh, you're a king. Let me make your crown of thorns. 
and shoved it upon their head. And then they threw him to the ground and put a beam across his back and demanded that he carry it uphill. On the way to Golgotha, the, 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 his charge was before everybody. Jesus, king of the Jews. It was put there so that if anybody ever claimed to be God, that that was what would happen to them. But also it was put there if anybody were to come forward, anybody were to say anything, anybody, hey, it's injustice, it's not right. Nobody did. They get him to the top of the hill. They connect it to another beam. They put it in the ground. They drive spikes in his ankles, spikes in his wrists. The only way he can bring, it's, he, he doesn't die by the pain. It's called the halfway death. They want to bring you halfway to death. They want you to, to hurt, to scream. They want you to be in, in, in total pain. He, he would have to raise up on, on feet that had nails driven through them to catch his breath. And then he would come back down. He'd raise up again, catch another breath, and, and he would come back down. So that's the picture I want you to etch in your mind. Jesus, no sin, no, no, no justification for him being there other than he needed to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He's hanging on the cross. And around the cross are five different groups of people. And I want you to realize and recognize and try to see where you are in one of those groups. It's Luke chapter 23. And let me give you the first verse, and then we'll, we'll go from there. 23:35. The people stood watching. These were the same people that just days earlier had, had laid palm branches down in the street and taken off their coats, taken off their coats so he could walk on them. They were the ones that said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were the ones who were celebrating his triumphal entry. Now, as he hung on a cross, they're just standing there. I don't know if they're, uh, what, what they're, what, if they're indifferent, if they're unconnected, if they're, if they're I, don't, I don't know what they are, but this is what I do know about Christianity. It's not a spectator sport. Serving Jesus is not something you can, you can do and not be involved in. Just because you're American doesn't mean you're a follower of Christ. The Bible makes it very clear you're either hot or cold. You're either, you're either in or out. You're either walking down the narrow road that leads to life or the broad road that leads to destruction. These people, again, they weren't indifferent. I don't know. I don't know if they were unconcerned, but they, I do think they were afraid, afraid of what somebody might say or do, afraid of what might happen if they speak up for Jesus. They're like Peter just a few hours earlier. I'll never deny Christ. I'll die for you, Jesus. And then some servant girl comes up to him. Aren't you one of his? No, I don't even know him. Mark's gospel says he even began to curse and swear. After all that Jesus did, after all that Jesus was, after all that Jesus accomplished, I don't, I don't, I don't know who you, I don't know who he is. The people just stood watching. You'd say, man, I would never do that. I, I, I'd be careful. What do we do when they curse our God at work or on the ball field or in our, our place where we hang out? What, what, what do we do when, they, when Hollywood pipes immorality and, and, and ungodliness into our living room? What, what, what do we do when, when they try to redefine marriage? Where, where were we when they're trying to strip America of its religious freedoms? Often we just stand there watching. And again, I don't know if we're just in shock or disbelief or fear or, or indifference. We're kind of like the, Israel, the army of Israel a long time ago. And, and in Second Samuel, it says that, 
that the army of Israel lined up to face Goliath. Israel was God's chosen people, and so they, they were to go into battle for God. God was with them, and, and the Philistines sent this giant out, Goliath, almost nine feet tall, a man's man, a warrior's warrior, and he would come out, and he would begin to mock and defile and make light of the children of Israel, mocking their God, making, making light of the promises that he promised the people of Israel. And, and the Bible describes it as they, they would go into the, it was almost like they were going into the locker room. They would get excited and pumped up let's go whip the Philistines, let's go get Goliath. And they would come out on the field and they would see this mighty warrior soldier and they would tuck their tails and run back in. And until a little teenage boy named David said, enough is enough. I'm not going to watch as this, as this, this uncircumcised Philistine defiles my God. And so he gets five stones and a sling and he, and he goes out to the battlefield and he, and he declares, hey, you come against me with your sword and your spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Prepare to die. Enough is enough. I'm not standing by and watching. I'm getting engaged in the battle. And sure enough, the rock hit him on the head. Goliath fell over. Jesus, a God got the victory, cut his head off. The birds of the air ate his flesh. And, 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 and my question is to you today, are, are we part of the crowd that just stands by watching? Or are we engaged in the battle? Here's what Jesus said. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I don't know him. I, I, I'm, I'm just real casual about this. I, I'm just doing, you know, to each his own. I do my own thing, whatever. Disowns men, I will disown him before my father. Those are some tough words. Here's how Peter said it. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But you don't have to do it with a slingshot and five rocks. I'm not telling you to go be David and start slaying everybody that gets in your path. No, I'm saying do it with gentleness and respect. I'm just saying, hey, are we confident in who we are in Christ? Are we bold in our testimony? Are we saying, yes, Jesus? Are we just kind of saying, maybe? There was one group that stood around the cross. They just kind of stood there watching. Not full participants, just observers. There was another group that, that was there, and, and they were the rulers. These were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, 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 the religious group, the, the ones that were supposed to set the spiritual climate for the, for the times, and, and they just sneered at him. They were, they were just religious. They, they said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's the Christ, if he's the God, if he's the chosen one. The, these were, the, the Pharisees were Christ's constant adversary. For the sinner, he always had mercy. For the Pharisee, he always had condemnation because they claimed to be godly, but they didn't recognize God when he walked among them. They had a knowledge of God, but they didn't know or walk with God. They thought they were doing God a favor when in reality they were rejecting and killing his son. These leaders, they kept the law and they knew the rules, but they missed Jesus. They looked good on the outside, but the inside was hard and indifferent. People in this group, they, they, they'll declare to you, I go to church. I've even given some in the offering. They'll pull out their water baptism card like, like, like that means something just because you've been water baptized. I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying that water baptism is not a means of salvation. It's a sign of salvation. You don't pull out your water baptism and declare, oh, I'm a believer because I've been baptized. No, you're a believer because you've believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. These Pharisees are usually pretty good at judging others, but they haven't taken inventory of their own hearts. They don't serve Jesus out of relationship, but out of a religious obligation. They are motivated to keep the laws, not to please a Savior. They come to God on their own merits, and the Bible says they're rejected 
Because Paul made it very clear. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. Salvation is a gift of God, not of works. It's not, a, it's not something to be... Salvation is not to be earned. It's to be received. It's grace. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. We got this one crowd that's just kind of standing around the cross, watching as Jesus hung there. Indifferent, kind of cold, not willing to get involved. We, we've got another religious group that are just kind of sneering at him because they, they thought, well, on the outside I look good and, and I got this pious look and attitude and heart. I, I'm okay. There was another group. It says the soldiers also came and mocked him. The third group was these guys were just, they, they didn't even, they didn't need Jesus. They were hard. They were, they were men's men. They they were self-reliant. They were independent. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't need him. So they just came and, and they mocked him and they made light of him. In, in today's word, they, they might have said, well, Christianity is for weak people. Listen, they called Jesus a lot of things, but they never called him weak. His family said he was out of his mind. The Pharisees called him Beelzebub. Some called him a fanatic, but no one ever called him weak. He never backed down from opposition. He lived out his convictions regardless of the price he had to pay. He took the persecution. He took the beating. He took the crown of thorns. He took the whipping. He took the nails all the while saying, Father, forgive them for they know know not what they do. You can call Jesus a lot of things, but you can't call him a coward. You can't call him weak. In fact, he takes weak people and makes them strong. Paul said, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. These soldiers, they might have been in that part of that crowd that you ever heard somebody say, well, Christianity is just for, it's just for weak. It's just for, it's just a crutch. It's just an escape. And my response is, yes, it's an escape. It's an escape from sickness because by his stripes I am healed. It's an escape from depression. Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. It's an escape from fear because God's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's an escape from addiction because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. It's an escape from hell because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God Christianity is an escape. I don't need God, the Roman soldier said. I can make it on my own, not realizing that it was in him they were living and moving and having their very being. Here's the other guy probably baffles me the most. One of the criminals who hung uh, there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save your, yourself and, and even save us. This guy just baffles me. This is a, the picture of the depravity of man. Condemned to die, yet still cursing the man beside him. When he want to do, I mean, I asked myself, when he want to do something at least somewhat noble in his dying breath? I, I went to the VA hospital to visit one of our men not long ago, and he, he was battling cancer and really sick, needed, really needed a miracle. And, and so I went into that room and, and uh, prayed for him. We had a great time, asked the Lord to heal him and touch him. You could really sense the presence of the Lord. And then I was walking out, and as I was walking out, I, I, I knew when I walked in there was a roommate in there. They were drawn by a curtain, so there was somewhat privacy. But I just felt kind of led. I don't know. I just said, why don't, maybe it was just me. I don't know. But I said, well, why don't you ask him if you want to, he wants you to pray for him? And so I did. Hey, sir, can I pray for you? I was just praying. This guy, and immediately he just starts cursing and swearing. And, and he's just mad at me. I don't want some holy pro- roller preacher praying for me. I just want to die in peace. And I said, that's what I'm trying to do. I want you to die in peace. Let me, let me pray for you, buddy. Let me... 
hard, bitter, angry, and no, just, again, cursing and swearing his last breath. It's kind of like the criminal. And you know what you just, you imply by that? They've been hurt somewhere. Hurting people hurt people. There's a reason this criminal is so, he's so upset and he's so lashing out. There's a reason why that guy in the hospital, there's just some, there's anger and resentment and bitterness and there's this, there's this justified or unjustified, this sense that they've been offended, that life's not been fair to them. So we got this crowd that's just kind of watching idly by. We, we've got this religious people that are sneering at him. We don't want a relationship. We want rules. We've got these soldiers that don't need him. I'm self-dependent. I'm, I'm, I'm self-made. We, we've got this, this criminal that's mocking him and bitter and hard. And then you got the, the fifth guy, the other criminal, rebuked him. He rebuked the criminal that just rebuked Jesus. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We're punished justly for we're getting what our sins deserve. You know, if you think about why would God allow his son to die between two thieves? I think one to show the depths to which Jesus would go. He was born in a stable and he died between two criminals. There's no one too far beyond the reach of the grace of God. No matter what you've done or where you've been or what you've been through, there is no one below the grace of God. And then also to do away with the concepts of works. If this guy gives his life to Jesus, he can't prove it. He can't work for it. He can't, you, you won't be able to decide. You just, it's just, it's just to destroy this works-based gospel and say that it's all a matter of God's grace. This criminal, his life is ruined. All hope is gone. But, but then he declares, and this is what I think salvation is. I think he gives us a picture of it. We are punished justly for we're getting what we deserve. He recognizes that he needs a Savior. See, until you know you need a, that you're a sinner, you don't know you need a Savior. Until you realize that your sin has disconnected you from God, you don't know that you need to be reconciled. The first thing this guy does is goes, I am getting what I deserve. I have sinned. I've messed up. I've missed the mark. I've fallen short. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And Jesus responds, and then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I think it was a simple prayer of forgiveness. God, I recognize you're the son of God. You're perfect. And I, I, I want to be where you're going. I want you to forgive me. And, and the last words of Jesus on the cross, one of the last words, Jesus answered him and said, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. The last thing Jesus did was forgive an earthly sinner for his sin. And, the, and, then, and then the Bible says that he breathed his last. And he said, unto, my, unto you I commit my spirit. He cried out, it is finished. And the curtain was torn from top to bottom. And, 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 and the earth shook and the rocks split. And the soldiers that we just earlier talked about, as they sat at the feet of Christ, they declared, surely this was the Son of God. And they put him in a borrowed grave, but death couldn't finish him, and the grave couldn't hold him, and Satan couldn't defeat him, and on the third day the stone was rolled away and he arose and he accomplished his purpose and he fulfilled his reason for coming and he made sufficient payment for our sin and, and he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and Jesus declared I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die 
So this morning, where are you around the cross? We, again, man, you're not supposed to do this on Easter. We're not, we're, this is supposed to be light and fun and Easter bunnies and, and, and eggs. No, this is, this is about a Savior that went and died on a cross for our sins. And, and he deserves enough for, for at least us to be honest with ourselves and say, where are we? Are we like the people that just stood watching? We just kind of indifferent, kind of casual with our relationship with Christ? That was 2,000 years ago, but there's people who are still standing around the cross. At one point, they made a confession of faith, but they're not living out their faith. Jesus is not your everything. He's just another thing on your list of many things. They're afraid to speak up for Christ because of what someone might say, afraid of how people might look at them if, if they fully and completely go after Christ. They want Jesus, but they're not willing to surrender totally and completely to his leadership. Like Peter, they follow Jesus from afar. Are you walking close to Jesus today? If you were put on trial for being a believer of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? This morning, first service, a young lady, probably 26, 27 years old, came up and I said, how can I pray for you? She just said, I've been playing God, playing with God. I've been coming for about three months, but I've not totally and fully committed my life to Christ. And today, I'm tired of watching. I want to get engaged. Maybe that's you today. God's here. Maybe, maybe you're like that religious group. Well, I mean, I come to church on Easter and I... Christmas most of the time, and I've done some good things, but, but I, I don't know about all this relationship stuff. Listen, Jesus didn't die so you could be religious. He died so you could have a relationship. See, I didn't think God wanted a relationship. He does. He wants to talk with you and walk with you and do life with you. He wants you to talk with him. He wants, he wants to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He wants, he wants to partner with you to make a difference in this world. He, 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 he wants to be close to you. Is your salvation based on what you do or on what Christ has done? Maybe you're in that, you're in that third group, those Roman soldiers who were, who were just, I don't need anything. And that's many of us today, I think, we, we kind of fall in. We're, we're blessed. We got a lot of stuff. We got nice homes. We got nice cars. I don't need Jesus. I got a nice job. You know what, you know what the Bible says? What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world? but lose his soul. Your greatest need is Jesus. Paul said, don't put your hope in, in, in things of, like stuff that are so uncertain. You can lose what you think you've gained, but put your hope in God who never changes, who's always the same. Don't, don't, don't try. I don't need anything. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe, maybe you're the railing thief. Maybe, I'm not making light of it. Maybe there's been some circumstance or situation in this Easter, you're hurting. And maybe justifiably and rightfully so. Another man at Mosley came up and I had the opportunity to pray with his wife and him. And I said, what's going on? And he said, I'm just hard. My heart is hard and bitter. I didn't ask why. I didn't need to know why. I put my hand, heart on his, put my hand on his heart and I just said, Lord, soften his heart in Jesus' name. Tears started just rolling down his face. Hands started going up to God. God, I give you my life. That's what God does. He you know what the Bible says? I can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. I can take a hard heart and make it soft. I don't, I don't know your struggle. I don't know what you're going with. 
But maybe, maybe that railing thief couldn't get past the why while the answer hung right behind, beside him. If he would just surrender his life to Christ. Where are you around the cross? Why don't you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Father, I, I just, we just pray right now. We've heard the word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that we will not leave this place without taking a step closer to you, regardless of where we are on our journey. Maybe today you've never made a commitment to Jesus. Never. Or maybe you have, but you've, you've walked so far away from him, you, 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 you just know you're not in right relationship with God. You say, Pastor, will you pray with me? I'd love to. And, and here's, the, here's the reality. God is here to forgive you and cleanse you. He wants to give you a fresh start, a slate, a new beginning. He wants to start a relationship with you. And here, here I, I started with this. Let me end with this. God created, man rebelled. Jesus came. We have to respond. We have to say yes. We have to say yes. Are you ready to say yes? Are you ready to say yes? Maybe you're here today and never have. Can I pray with you? Will you allow me the gift of just praying with you and leading you in a, in a prayer that will begin the journey of reconcile? Will you join the other 15 or 20 people that have already said yes to Jesus this morning in the early two services? Just will you raise your hand real quick? Nobody looking around. I just want to pray with you. I want to know I'm praying with you. Anybody? I need Jesus today. I need to say yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you over here to my left. Munches. Thank you guys back there. Anybody in the balcony? Thank you. There's several. Why not? Will everybody, will you just stand to your feet? Will you stand to your feet with me? I want to lead those guys in a prayer. You're ready to say yes, and Jesus is ready to answer. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to cleanse. This is what I would pray. It's what I would do. I would say, Lord Jesus, I realize I need you today. I realize I'm apart from you because of my sin. And I invite you to come and forgive me and cleanse me. I invite you to to come and be my leader and to be my Lord. I ask that you'll forgive me and help me. I say yes. I say yes. Come into my life. This is what I would say. Lord, I give you my life. I give you my life. In just a minute, Pastor Andrew is going to come and give you some next steps. But the Bible says if you pray that prayer, if you confess with your mouth then that you're born again, and the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now over the commitment that you just made, and we rejoice with you. I want, I want to take it a step further. because Again, if I thought Jesus was worth dying for, he's worth living for. Are you around the cross today? You're, you're born again. You're saved. But you're just, there's some casualness. There's some indifference in your life. You're just kind of standing around watching. You're not fully engaged. And you realize today that you need to. I want to invite you to the front. I want to invite you to take a step of faith. If you'll, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. I, I want you to engage today with the Lord. Not fearing what people might think or say, or maybe even fearing it, but getting over your fear and saying, Lord, you're bigger to me. You're more important to me than anything else. And it, you've not been, but today I recommit to you. 
Maybe you're here today and you thought religion was enough and, and, and you've got all the Sunday school attendance to prove it, but you've never, you never started a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've started depending on your own self. Well, I can do this on my own. And you realize today, no, I need Jesus. Or maybe your heart is hard and bitter and callous for whatever reason. Or maybe you're going through a struggle right now and you don't want to become hard and bitter. Will you make a step towards Jesus? Will you come? If you're in one of those four groups and you want to make your desires known to the Lord, 